Welcome to the Vocational Education Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. It's lovely to have Michelle Charlton with us today. Michelle, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Dan. Uh, Michelle, tell us about what you're doing at the moment. What am I doing? I think, Dan, the question is, what are we not doing? Oh, good on you. (laughs) So our business has a few things on the go, but one of the main things that I was really excited to talk to you about this morning is our validation boot camps. So the validation boot camps, I hear you ask, what are Mm, they? What are they? What are they? I knew I heard you ask that. It was was in my mind. (laughs) It didn't come out of my lips, but it was in my mind. We've got a national skills agenda that we're implementing. So we're going around Australia and we're... It's a demand-driven program. We're responding to people's requests for extra support in the areas of validation. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's really necessary right now. It really is necessary. So we were involved quite heavily in a few projects that helped with the TAE upgrade. And we got a very keen insight to some of the challenges associated with that particular area within our sector. Mm. And with the March 31st deadline coming up, we realise that we're going to be in a bit of strife when we come towards that as well. Mm. So um, the idea was that rather than see good providers getting pinged for, you know, administrivia type... Administrivia, that's a new word. <laughs> that is... I'll, I'm kind of going to write that down, hang on, somehow. Mm. Well, I think there's a lot of providers that think that that is what's happening to them. Mm. And... I don't really want to comment too much about that. But what I can say is that I think that people are there with the right intentions. They're wanting to provide good service and quality outcomes for their students. But there are some disconnects in terms of what they need to know or how they need to go about things to make sure that they're meeting the mark. What are some examples of those disconnects that you've found so far? The disconnects that that we see are associated with what we do in our business. So it's around training, uh, sorry, the assessment used in training and assessment and making sure that the assessments that are being used are covering the unit of competency requirements. So coming up to the, the end of March deadline, the formal validations that need to take place are going to be done on tools already in play. Mm. So there's got to be um, a validation on the judgments that have been made using tools in play. The trouble is, if those tools have flaws in them in the get-go, the validation result is going to be problematic. Mm. And there is quite potentially rectification issues that RTOs are going to have to address. Mm. So they're the main issues that are coming to the fore at the moment. Um, There's a lot of other things, but they're not specifically on our radar because it's not what we're specialising in in terms of our business. Mm. So the validations boot camps are going to go through a series of days. Um, the first session will look at how to unpack a unit of competency mm-hmm. and map an assessment to the unit. Um, you'd be surprised at perhaps how many people aren't aware of how to go about that in mm. a robust or a best practice method. In fact, my session yesterday, it was an extremely dry topic, I have to admit. Was it the mapping session? It was the mapping the map- session. Well, I was just talking to someone before who said um, they, they're going to have to go back and spend another 12 hours mapping now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. yep. And uh, I encouraged everyone to start a revolution, say no to unit bingo. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag no to unit bingo. Yeah. Um, 
so humour aside, that's the first thing. The second session is about validating mm. mapping. So if you get an assessment tool, whether it's been developed or it's off the shelf as a purchase product, you want to make sure that it is actually going to cover everything that it's supposed to be doing. Mm. It's a very specific skill set to be able to do that. And session two in the Validations Bootcamp program will teach you how to do that. The third session is about validating the tools. So have these tools being created so that they're going to address the principles of assessment? Are they going to allow the student to provide evidence that meets the rules of evidence? So that's the third session. The fourth one is where we move more into the formal validation requirements and we explain the process of that validation of judgment. Mm. So how you prepare for that, who can be involved, the types of templates that you need to use, how you calculate your statistically valid random sample, yes, yeah. um, all of those sorts of things. Then after March, we'll roll into the fifth session in the program, which is about how you develop and implement your necessary five-year plan for yeah. validation. Yes, excellent. So, so how long does the boot camp go for then? Is it? They're one-day, all-day sessions for each day. Each part. Yes. And there's four there's parts, three parts? Five parts five altogether. Parts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So demand-driven, we've been having people submit expressions of interest. And on our form, we've got locations from around Australia and they're telling us their nearest city and we're going there. Mm, okay. So um, is there an opportunity for RTOs to just say, well, actually, we really need that day three and four or not? Yes. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, you don't have to come to all five sessions. You nominate the areas that you need the support in. Okay. Yeah. So you're running it centrally and they bring their own assessment tools. Is that the idea or do you provide samples? How does that work? Okay, a couple of things. Um, they're days of doing. Mm. So every registrant will have a login code to a digital short course warm-up. So we're running that in conjunction with VETA. You go on and you look at your digital short course and the idea of that is these will give you the underpinning knowledge behind what the day is about. And we want everyone to do that so they can come on the day ostensibly uh, on the same footing, ready mm. to go. Okay. Days of doing, Dan. So I'm hearing when, <laughs> Yeah, when you come, um, we're not going to be talking about this is you know, theoretically how you would go about this. And we'll show you some examples, sure. Yeah. But we will expect you to come with the mindset to be working on your own stuff. Well, that, see, the, uh, the reason I was asking that is um, RTO managers, RTO compliance people, everyone, in fact, everyone is time poor. Exactly. So if they're going to attend something, if they can actually take their work with them, yes. get it done to a better level yes. with your guidance, then why wouldn't you? Exactly. Uh -huh. So we're hoping people are going to be having exactly that thinking. Mm. Excellent. So at the moment, we've booked in for Brisbane in October. Gold Coast, um, that's going to be in January. November, we're travelling to Adelaide, Sydney, Perth and Melbourne. Oh, fantastic. So um, where can people go to find the dates and, and, and where you are? Is there a website? Yes, yeah. validations.com.au. Really easy wow. to remember. God, you got that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> validations.com.au. Well done. Yeah. Um, okay, so people can go there, find the dates. Um, now, by the time this podcast comes out, we might have missed October. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But um, but at least there's always a, a good chance they'll come around again. So yeah. obviously the majority of RTOs uh, state by state are in Queensland. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully they'll come back to Queensland soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've had some inquiries 
from people asking if we can run RTO-specific sessions too. Okay. Some of the Queensland-based RTOs have recognised that this is going to be a really good opportunity for them to hone in on what they need. Brilliant. And they've said, can you come and deliver just to us? Yeah. So okay. we're trying to be super flexible. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, it's all down to the viability of it all, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, well mm-hmm. done. It's, I think it's a great service. And um, when we were talking about validations yesterday in my talk, mm-hmm. um, the, the two things we have to think about to improve the quality of validations, yep. number one, an unbiased external validator. Yes. And number two, uh, a decent sample of your evidence so that you mm-hmm. reduce your own subjectivity. Yes. So those two things you already just said. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Um, and that will result in more reliable assessments. Yeah. It can't not unless people are brain dead. <laughs> so. well, I don't want to go there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, some of us are, especially this time in the morning. But Exactly. Um, I think um, if... If we can change the mindset towards getting quality tools for tradespeople, mm. we're going to be heading in the right direction. You wouldn't right. send a carpenter out to build a house with a blunt saw or a headless hammer. No. So why do we in the vet sector, which is a very valuable trade to the Australian economy, expect our tradespeople, our trainers and assessors, to be doing their trade or their work with blunt tools? Yeah, nicely put. And I almost wanted to end it on that. I shouldn't have said anything after it. That was, I could have faded to black after that. It was a great way to end. Um, well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming and, uh, and having a chat to us today. Um, you've already given us your website. Any other way they might be able to contact or get in touch with you? The website lists all of our contact information. So validations.com.au. With an yeah. S, validations. Validations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We also run the community group on LinkedIn vet pd group so if you want to join the vet pd group you can catch me on there we're giving updates about what's happening in the sector and things that way but more directly michelle at writeonresources.com.au you can reach me all sorts of ways love it all right people uh, we'll get on to it Um, we all need to have better validations there's no doubt about that even if we think we're doing it well there's no harm in sharpening that tool exactly thanks very much thinking dan bye bye Fantastic to finally have Mark Vines here. We're uh, we're conducting an interview with Mark today uh, on a fantastic subject, one that's passionate to me, and it's about being a damn good trainer. Mark, tell us a bit about what you're going to discuss in your presentation. Thanks so much, Dan. Pleasure to be on the podcast. Um, My topic for tomorrow is um, called From Average to Great, The Steps to Becoming a Powerful and Impactful Trainer in the 21st Century. Now, that is certainly a bold title. However, I believe that ultimately great training comes back to a great mindset. And we need to be able to see training in the right light. And for me, that's all about how do we actually create change in another individual? How do we create influence? And when we actually look at training in the vet sector from uh, being a change agent of another individual, the way that we see and the way that we show up in a training room radically shifts because mm-hmm. it's no longer about just a session plan. It's no longer about just getting through activities. It's about how can I influence this audience as quick as possible? How can I make the change long lasting? And the, not that they just hear my content, but they go actually and use it and apply the skills and knowledge. Mm. And for me, that's just fundamentally what all training's about and definitely where more of, um, I guess, our focus needs to be going towards. Why would it not be about that now what what's why is it missing now i'd say it's too much on the fancy techniques i would say it's too much on the powerpoints i would say it's too much of um, subject matter experts um, jumping into getting their tae 
and they're not really fundamentally learning the skills, knowledge and structure to be able to teach. Because mm. let's face it, we are teachers and part of training is getting someone to show performance and then we provide feedback and over time their performance should improve and should enhance. However, I think there is a huge gap with the actual teaching skills that are actually taught in the TA. I know it's a very biased opinion. However, I've sort of been a bit of a white horse, black horse in the industry because I've originally come from an ESL background. I lived in Japan for seven years. So I was at the coalface of teaching one-on-one communication skills. And we looked at basically someone that could barely say their name in English. And over a period of 18 months, we were taking them to a place of intermediacy, if not fluency in English. And when you say starting from point, you know, minus five, minus zero of communication, you really get a stance of what actually has to happen for someone to develop skills and knowledge and so then coming back into Australia I worked in tertiary environment for a little bit Mm. then I bridged from there into um, getting my TAA and having an experience a particular organization and I came away thinking there's something wrong here I've gone through my TAA but I actually haven't learned how to be a trainer yeah. All I've learned how to do was do a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> and fundamentally, um, I saw a huge gap in the industry. Mm. And so my passion, um, if you'll allow me to share, for the last seven years has been how can we raise the standards of not just the training skills, but the teaching skills in the industry so that the learners have the best possible experience they could have. Mm. Let's just not just talk about visual auditory kinesthetic. Let's just make sure people actually apply those theoretical things that we're actually teaching in the TAE. Yeah. Let's learn to be facilitators, coaches, mentors, and instructors. Let's understand the fundamental distinctions behind those things, mm. if that kind of answers your question. Oh, it does. It's, it's brilliant. Um, it, it, so the I guess if you're reflecting upon the TAA mm. back then, or, or any sort of certified training in the sector, it's been more a, and I'll paraphrase, but mm. it's been more a, you know, as long as you can tick these boxes, Correct. then we'll give you the certificate. Yeah. But um, as I've actually put on one of my um, uh, videos years ago, it was uh, it was like like getting your P plates. Correct. Like yep. great. Now you're a P plate driver. Go mm. out there and learn how to drive. Mm. <laughs> you know, because um, you, you can't learn to be a great trainer in six months. No, you cannot. And that six months is being generous. Yes, we know there's a lot of organisations did it a lot quicker. Mm. So I, I'm hearing it now. When it comes to the the um, the content of what you you train. Mm-hmm. To get people into that sort of, um, you know, mind space, or, or to, to make sure they're sharing what the the outcomes are for that end user, um, what what research do you fall back on? What what information do you source from to say this is how we should be doing it now, or is it all more just a, you know, not so much gut feel, but your experience and says I should do it this way? What what do you fall back on, or is it a mixture of both maybe? Uh, drawing on a number of different things, I guess my experience in public speaking training. Um, and I've done a number of public speaking courses. As part of that, I've been hugely um, obsessive about accelerated learning. Mm. See, I believe that we can learn, but why don't, why can't we learn even quicker? Mm-hmm. And so my big passion is um, looking at um, organizations in America that apply consistent principles of accelerated learning and being able to bring that into teaching trainers that yes there's different engagement techniques that we can actually use to get people to learn even faster Mm. Um, another part of it is consistently working off the format system and it's a higher level education system that when used quite profoundly people get engaged and hooked into the learning 
you know, modality and the moding of learning, but it's something that's a little bit challenging, a bit of a stretch for the average trainer. Mm. However, taught well, anyone can pick up format quite easily. Mm. Um, can, can you just explain to people who might not have heard about format mm. before? Just what is it? Yeah, certainly. It's basically a structure on how to present information because Bernice McCartney found that there is different types of learners. There's why people, there's what people, there's how people, and there's what if people. And she did some studies back in the 1970s, 1960s, late 60s, and she found that when she actually broke up learners into different groups, the why learners, the what learners, the how learners, and the what if learners, she found that she could uh, train those people and teach those people. It was actually in um, kindergartens. So mm-hmm. starting at very low levels there. And she found that they could accelerate their learning by actually focusing on what they specifically needed. And it, she found that information when presented in that particular order of why, what, how, what if, instantly became, um, people became a lot more engaged. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, these days it's more the opposite. Um, it's what then why, or the why is not even talked about. So you get people in courses that are sometimes wondering the relevancy of what they're even learning. Mm. And great presenters um, are able to really hook an an audience in the very beginning by a great why. Mm. And I think that's certainly a fundamental piece that's missing out of a lot of um, courses on how to train. And uh, so for me, where do I draw it upon? I'd say my studies of accelerated learning, my public speaking studies that I've done. I'm not the world's best public speaker, but I'm an exceptionally good public speaking coach. And I love taking someone from that place of petrified of public speaking to that place of actually passionate, enjoying it and really engaging an audience. So where else do I draw it from? Um, I guess my years of being at the coalface of actually you know, teaching the TAE and really helping people make that leap of, I love my topic, but I hate talking about it. Or I love my topic, but I don't know how to say it in a way that's really going to make a difference. Mm. So um, I guess those would be my main sources. Yeah. And certainly I've done a lot of study in NLP, sort of studies in process communication model, a lot of um, psychology stuff. So um, I guess it comes back to what's worked for me and what I've seen make a difference in the training room. And it sounds to me like you've you've um, consolidated mm. so much out there that anybody could go and find for themselves in Correct. inverted commas. But but because you brought it all together, speaking of accelerated learning, mm. you can say, well, here it all is. This will make you better straight away. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, well, it's fantastic. That the um, uh, the other thing I was thinking about when I asked you that question was um, some of the more recent develops in uh, developments in things like. Um, education psychology, education research, um, and even just good old brain science, mm. good old neuroscience, and, and what it's telling us about how, how we learn, how we consolidate our memories and, mm. and that sort of thing. Um, do you find, do you, do you get enjoyment out of, out of reading those sorts of things and finding out more about that? Do you try to incorporate them or, or you, um, are you, do you believe you've got the model already that, that works? Or is I that think, a loaded question? I think um, all change starts with asking a better question. Mm. And I think... Um, Probably about three or four years ago, I got obsessive about the question, how do I speak to be remembered? (laughs) Not just speak to be heard, and this is something I'm going to be talking about tomorrow in my presentation, not just how do I speak to be heard, but how do I speak in a way that sticks to the unconscious mind for the longest period of time? And I think that's an area that we don't really talk about. It's kind of like the elephant in the room. One of the problems is that people forget what we say. Mm. And how do I get to a point where I could say something to you and you become so frustrated because you can't forget it? Yeah. Now, that all starts from a brand new question. The question is, how do I speak to be remembered, not just you know, heard? Mm. And I think um, certainly I get fascinated about the statistics that show how much we actually forget. 
how much we actually remember, you know, generally five to 10% of a presentation, mm. if not one thing from the last book we read, if yeah. at all. Um, and just looking at, all right, well, let's raise the question and then think, okay, well, how do I work around that? Mm. How do I actually speak in a way that um, is really going to be weird, wacky and emotional? or whatever it may take for this audience to hear it and it. you know remember it for the next three to six months. Because yeah. I have a belief that if I spend time with an audience and they forget it, you know, two or three hours later, I've wasted my time mm-hmm. and I've wasted their time. And I think when you get obsessive about that question, everything starts to shift because you no longer show up and do a session plan. You show up looking to influence, Yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, it does indeed. And, and you can see just from the passion that you speak about it that it's the it's the changing of that mindset. Correct. Yeah, for goodness sake, if you just went in there thinking that I want this person to remember mm. what I say yeah. or, or remember how to do what I'm instructing them to do, not Correct. just listen to me. Correct. Yeah, so there's a great curve, you, you know about it. It's the Ebbinghauser's, mm. um, you know, forgetting curve. Yeah. That's the 5% mm. over X amount of time. Now, God, he was around. He published that in the late 1800s. Yeah. And we're still using it now. And we're only just figuring it out, how, how, it, how it actually melds in with, with learning and how to mm. do spaced repetition and how to do these, um, or it's just spacing in general and, and, and chunking and how to, all, all these little techniques that, you know, we're making use of, of research that's been done before, mm. but now we're applying it in the psychology world, we're yeah. applying it in the neuroscience world, and we're going, ah, that's why it works. Mm. So speaking of the why question, yeah. that's why it works. Um, I, I, I speak about this because it fascinates me, I mm. think, but I would love to know, um, when you're teaching people how to be better trainers, better, better presenters, um, what's... Other than focusing, I guess, on the um, just the learner's outcome, what's another tip or trick, if you like, or tip that, that you put in place that you go, okay, if you also do this, they will remember more? What, what's something else you throw in there? Or, or, or I might rephrase that. Um, what do you tell them to do with their trainers to really, really remember something? Okay. So I'll share um, one of my biggest passions and... Um, well, okay, if we're looking at retention, I would say it's two, um, two aspects. One is emotion. And the more that you can bring emotion into your training, whether it is crazy, weird, wacky metaphors, whether it is stories from the media, whether it is a um, past experience that really illustrates the point, the emotion makes the logic stick. Nice. And mm. ultimately, the long-term memory is driven by survival and relevance. Mm. And if they don't have those two components there, then the, the you know, basically the information is worthless. Yeah. There's no relevance in survival. The other aspect to it is um, one of my favorite topics is that of the saturation point. The, everybody has a physical, mental, and emotional saturation point. Yeah. As trainers, though, often we find that they are oblivious to it. And they will speak and speak and speak and speak and speak, and they will not actually have an awareness around an audience saturation point. And they'll keep pouring water into the cup until it overflows and then go, why are they having an emotional breakdown? <laughs> why are they falling asleep? Why are they talking to the person next to them? Why, what, what's going on? Mm. When Let's rewind five minutes ago when the person was looking at you blankly going, <laughs> I've had too much. And yeah, I'm, I'm full. I'm full I'm up full. here. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the greatest mm. thing I discovered through my obsession with accelerated learning was how do you strategically create multiple opportunities for them to empty their cup? Mm. So they could actually, even a simple activity like, all right, we've just covered X, Y, Z. Now I want you to turn to the person next to you and share with them one thing you've just learned. Write it down. And now, cool, go and mm. share it with someone else. 
Now, it could be a one-minute break, a five-minute break. I don't care what you do, but as long as there's a review activity at strategic points throughout the session, mm. then you're going to have a much greater opportunity and probability of the information being retained. Mm. But I think it's the breakage of the saturation point or um, ignoring that mm. that leads to a lot of students just not being able to take in everything that they have um, yeah. and they're told in a session, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally does. And some examples of that, that uh, I've always been bad with knots. You know, mm. when someone shows me how to tie a knot, mm. especially, you know, <laughs> here's a sailing class, mm. tie this knot, and they go over and under, and they show you in five seconds, mm. and you, d you get lost. Yes, somewhere correct. Along the lines. But then they continue on, and, that, and they go to the next knot, and mm. you, you have no idea, so you, you begin to shut down. One example. The other one classic that everyone knows about is, is high school maths. Mm. <laughs> you know, if you don't get the concept after day one, week mm. one, whatever it is, the teacher just keeps going. They have a yeah. curriculum to get through, yeah. you know, yeah. and you get left behind. And then so many people fall into that boat. So it, it's really relevant information and, and that consolidation, that forced retrieval that you mm. talked about, forced yeah. retrieval practice where they close their books but they have to remember something Correct. they just yeah. learned. Um, that has been proven to yeah. work. So I'm, I'd sound, I'm so excited that that's what you teach because that's mm. what people need to know. Correct. So, And I guess yeah. I've been put in situations where I've had to teach a lot of content in a very short period of time. Mm. So I've had to get very creative. Well, how do I reinforce the learnings? How do I get people picking up and remembering what was done the previous day? And how do I keep reinforcing that knowing I've got a constricted time frame? Mm. And I guess that comes back to the accelerated learning. I don't, I, I need to teach it to you, but I need you to remember it in two days time. Mm. <laughs> and so does, does assessment come in there as, as a form of learning? Um, it certainly would, but intuitively, I want to make sure that there's a number of points of reinforcement. Um, we're just going to put the assessing conversation aside. It's, for me, it's more so um, training and making sure that the content is always kept alive in the minds and it's top of mind. Yeah, yeah. hence the emotional thing. The other little one, um, just to throw in there, because you reminded me of it when we were talking about different techniques, is the good old mnemonics and things yes, like that. that, that correct. Just a simple ways for me. Oh, then, yes. Yeah. And I'm not going to go through any right now, although there's a dozen we could probably all mm. think of right yeah. away. Oh, I remember how we learned that or mm. how we learned that. And it does stick. So yeah. um, we know it works, so why yeah. not use it? Yeah, exactly. And exactly. come up with your own ones. Yeah. If you want someone to learn how to do assessment, write the word assess and see what you can come up with. It. Well, <laughs> okay. very fast red Ferrari is the principles of assessment. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> see, I, I remember it. You're going to hate this. is valid, reliable, flexible, oh. fair. <laughs> Still makes the point. Oh, it does something. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I've just clapped everybody's ears out there. Yeah. But um, look, ha so good to meet you, Mark. And um, I wish you the best for tomorrow. Now, those of you listening to this in two years' time, Mark did a great job. Uh, <laughs> those of you listening to it just after the conference who got to see Mark perform, I'd love to see your comments in the uh, comments section on the podcast. But um, yeah, I'm sure you do a fantastic job. And thanks Thank for spending much. some time with us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. See you, mate.